Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to our Mother's Day bonus special. In the last year, due to the pandemic, even the most present of mothers have spent more time with their children than ever before, becoming not just their mothers, but also their teachers, full-time playmates, chefs and caretakers of their emotions. In this one-off episode, we want to talk about how to enjoy motherhood without depleting yourself as a woman, the importance of prioritizing your own self-care and reclaiming your sexual desires without the guilt. We have two amazing women joining us on today's show, psychologist Dr. Emma Svanberg, better known as at Mumologist, and writer, performer, author and influencer Tova Lee. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining us at Self Care Club for our Mother's Day special. It's lovely to have you here. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's really nice to be here. Chartered clinical psychologist Dr. Emma Svanberg is known as the Mumologist and works with parents and parents-to-be, supporting them through their parenting journey. Working as part of a collective, Emma and her colleagues together offer whole family support in person and through her online community, The Village. Emma is a published author and her work has been featured in The Guardian, Marie Claire, BBC News and Mother and Baby. She brings nearly 20 years of academic and clinical experience to help you understand why this period should not be treated as business as usual, but is a time of immense pressure and stress for parents. Can I start by asking you, how has the pandemic affected mothers' mental health from what you've seen? Well, I think um, from both talking to women through social media, so on the village group predominantly and through my social media and also my sort of one-to-one work with clients, I feel very strongly that the pandemic has affected mothers' mental health possibly more than most other groups of people. I think that depending on whether they come from marginalised groups, that will be even more so. But I think you know, we've seen a real setback for women in the last year in terms of the pressures that are put on them from their kind of household labour, emotional labour. We know from the statistics that women were predominantly doing, for example, homeschooling. There's been yeah. a lot in the press, I think, about women um, looking after school-aged kids and also trying to juggle work, but we haven't really heard very much about new mums. And yeah. I really feel strongly that for those women who gave birth during this period and were in their postnatal phase as well during this period, that has been immensely challenging to be doing all of that in such isolation. So having our usual support networks and support structures taken away from us while the day-to-day pressures have been elevated so enormously there has absolutely been a massive mental health impact and I think what I've seen with a lot of the women that I speak to is that women who 
normally would be coping extremely well with the pressures of normal life, all of a sudden have experienced mental health difficulties often for the first time. And for those women who perhaps were struggling a little bit before, they are now experiencing sometimes quite severe mental health problems. And of course, uh, finding it very hard to find support because we also know that services are really overloaded at the moment. So it's a real... I think, melting pot of difficulty for mothers at the moment. And we are here, obviously, so passionate about women, so passionate about motherhood and so passionate about self-care. And actually, this is the beauty of this conversation is that it all gets to come together now. Mm. Can you tell us why it's so important that mothers, especially at this time, prioritize their self-care? I think it can still be seen as a bit of a luxury, right, as I'm sure you both think about and talk about a lot. And it is the opposite of a luxury. It's absolutely essential if we are Mm. going to feel okay about ourselves. But also, you know, we can think of it as offering something for our children as well, because when we're burnt out, we just cannot be the mothers that we want to be. So it, it serves two purposes. It serves a purpose for us and it also does serve a purpose for our children. So if you struggle with thinking about it as a selfish thing, you can also think about the fact that you're doing it selflessly because it really does benefit the whole family. Um, And I think because when we don't look after ourselves, so maybe we need to think about that rather than when we do look after ourselves, often we just feel like things are going okay. You know, things are taking along quite smoothly. We don't necessarily notice the benefits. We really notice when we're not looking after ourselves very well and the impact that that can have on our day-to-day functioning. And often that doesn't come with us feeling bad about ourselves. It comes with us losing our temper, getting snappy, turning to coping strategies, maybe that we wouldn't ordinarily like drinking a bit too much or comfort eating. And it can just cause a bit of a vicious cycle where we end up feeling bad about ourselves or guilty or ashamed, makes it much harder to then turn that around to a place where we feel able to look after ourselves and nurture ourselves again. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think you've highlighted something really vital there that you you see it in the moments where you're not implementing yourself self-care rather than Mm. so much when you do and perhaps do you think that's part of why women aren't prioritizing it as much as they are because they don't feel they're seeing the benefits or they don't feel they're deserving of it Do, do you think that plays into it somehow I think there's two parts to that. I think there's just the day-to-day, what most women have been brought up to do is to put their needs last anyway. Yep. That's something that has often been part of our lives even before we became mothers. So Absolutely. actually we, we managed to do that okay until we had children and then all of a sudden it actually has an impact when we don't do that. So I think we often can be socialised to think of it as a kind of selfish thing that women, as women, we often feel like we're supposed to be looking after other people yeah. and we, we come sort of bottom of that list. Yeah. And then I think actually just day to day because of that, you know, we we just don't make the time for it. We don't have the time for it. There are other more urgent things that need to be done, particularly over the past couple of months. There's always somebody else whose needs feel greater than our own. So it's very yes. easy to lose sight of the importance of self-care. And and then there's also how we talk about self-care, which often is around these big things, you know, so we're going to go and have a massage or we're going to have a really nice long bath or we're going to read a book. And if actually you're looking after a baby and a toddler or you've got three kids at home and you're homeschooling, that just feels so out of reach that it's yes. easier to just do nothing than to think about, well, what could meet some of that need? Even mm. if it's not my ideal, what could meet a little bit of that need that I have to just look after myself a little bit and make sure that I feel like I'm important as well. Yeah. Mm, I love that. 
you're you're obviously a specialist on birth trauma. You literally wrote the book about birth trauma. Um, so one, I, one of the books. Yeah. One of the books. The book. I've read it. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about the, the whole myth of motherhood. Women mm. who blame themselves for not having the perfect birth, not just feeling disappointed that they didn't have this perfect birth in their birth plan that they wrote, but also mm. distressed that they should be coping when they're not coping. Um, yes, we're yes. also talking to Tova Lee on this episode. Oh, right. Oh, Tova's amazing. Yeah. And she she obviously wrote a book where she's kind of demolished this perfect motherhood myth. And I wanted to read you a quote from her book and just wondered what your response to it was. But she says, mm-hmm, I didn't mm-hmm. want to sound ungrateful. No one treats pregnancies, emergency C-sections or other near-death experiences that happen in a delivery room as traumatic when that's exactly what they are sometimes. There's no therapy or time to heal because there's a baby to look after. So you better snap out of it and be happy. Is that something that rings true to you? Do you hear a lot of clients saying that to you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think, I think, again, there's the kind of, I should be grateful you know that actually if you think about the myth of motherhood and the fairy tale that we're told about what it is to be a mother part of that myth is that we don't have needs ourselves that we should martyr ourselves to our children so the idea that we might be in any way hurt or disappointed or even resentful of what having a child has brought into our lives is just something that is not still not really talked about very openly and maybe Mm. we can talk about it more openly in some circles like it is talked about a bit more on social media now but actually talking about it with your friends and family even then maybe going to a doctor to speak about it that still feels very difficult and it's not always met with the open ears that it needs to be and and then absolutely I think you know what she says about the way that birth is is seen as just being well you know okay so if you're traumatized by a birth isn't that just part of birth experience you should be happy that you've got a healthy baby so what are you complaining about and it just shows I think so strikingly how as women we often feel like we're marginalized anyway but when we become mothers the baby's needs become paramount and in some ways of course the baby's needs do need to be paramount to some extent, but we also need to feel like we matter as well and be treated as though we matter. So I I think one of the most, it felt, I mean, when you read it out, it really does resonate with me because I think the story that I hear the most is women trying to talk about their experience and often trying so hard because they've read books and they've heard from other people and they've been encouraged to talk about their experience, but then they actually take the step to talk about it and they're still met with that brick wall of, well, yeah, but okay, it can't have been that bad. And look, you've got your lovely baby and maybe you just need to get on with the business of looking after that baby. I hear it. What does that tell us? You know, what does it tell us about how important we are? There's something I see happening more and more so. I call it toxic positivity. I didn't come up with the phrase, but actually exactly what you're talking about. So what that does is if someone's trying to spin something into positivity, when actually you're feeling really shit and you're feeling really low, all that does is bring more shame. When mm, you're yes. not hearing, they're not, you're not being heard. And even that mm. I should be grateful piece even that it's like you get to be however you are right now and I'm sure mm. there is a huge part mm. of your heart that's grateful but you get to be tired you get to be depleted you get to be in pain you get to be exhausted and I there's not enough exactly what you're saying there is not enough space for that because there's always mm. someone that wants to fix it quickly because God forbid we should yes. just be where we are yeah and yeah. it feeds into a whole thing of us I think 
potentially becoming lost. You stop being mm. you and you just start yes. being mum and mm. only dealing with the needs and problems of your children and forgetting what what do I need? Where am I in mm. all of this? Mm. You know? yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's something really important about that and word. We can be grateful for our babies and we can feel damaged by having had them. And um, we can love our children and we can really wish that we had some time to ourselves. Yes. It's really yes. important to be able to hold both of those positions at the same time. Yeah. I remember bumping into someone when my kids were very, very little in the woods and I hadn't seen her for like years and she was very very excited she had two very young boys and I had two very young girls and my youngest child was on the floor throwing a massive tantrum which not much has changed I'm going to be honest um, <laughs> and, she, she, and this woman was obviously in the absolute throes of motherhood and having a great day and everything else and she was very excited to see me and wanted to really connect with me mother to mother isn't it amazing I remember her sparkly eyes just going aren't you just loving it I mean she was rolling around on the floor screaming and I said to her no I'm not and the shock that kept I've mm. never forgotten it it was a very brief conversation she mm. was so taken aback that I had the audacity to admit that I am struggling right here right now mm. and what I should still see, sit here and go yes it's amazing it's the best thing I've ever done when she's screaming like a banshee disturbing everybody in the woods like mm. no we have to be able to say I'm having a hard day I'm finding this really hard and for somebody to sit with us and listen and just say yes that is hard rather than as you said before try and just put a plaster over it and fix it and I think often it doesn't take a lot we just need somebody to go yep yeah, I hear that I'm with you yeah. <laughs> and then we can release it and it goes that's yeah. all as I constantly tell my husband I don't need you to fix it mm -hmm. I just need you to listen this is He's getting the, better. The crux of everything that I do in labor. I'm in pain. I'm hot. I'm cold. I can't. And the husbands just want to fix, 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 fix. You can't fix labor. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny dichotomy that I, re I really notice between men and women is that mm. you, you present that problem and there's an immediate need to fix it when actually sometimes you just need to voice it and be heard. And that's enough. That's enough. Yes. Yeah, you just need someone. That, that is enough. Yeah, someone to hear it and take it from yeah, you, anyone. and then you can get on with your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Emma, what would your advice be um, to a depleted, stressed-out mom? Because we know that there's many, many of them mm. right now. How can she start to implement some sort of self-care into her life? I think it doesn't take a lot, and it's really important to remember that you just need five minutes, if that. You know that every day you just take take the opportunity to just check in with yourself and be able to look at your kind of physiological stress state. Where am I in my body? Am I feeling like I'm buzzing? Am I feeling a bit fizzy? Do I feel like my heart is racing? It doesn't take any time at all to be able to just check in and then be able to say, okay, what am I going to do? Just to be able to get myself out of that stress state in some way that feels a little bit calmer. And the quickest way of doing that is breathing. So being able to take a long, slow breath in through your nose, and then a really long, slow breath out through your mouth. And I often say to mums that I work with that a long, slow breath out isn't always enough. Sometimes you want to do a really big audible sigh out where you just release all of that tension in your body, 
just stand when you've got the kettle on or you're cooking dinner or you're just walking along. Or a whale. How about a, a whale? Prime or scream <laughs> can also work very effectively. But just making sure that you're kind of yeah. discharging that high adrenaline energy. And I mentioned yeah. to Lauren, I have done a really brief course for women who particularly as people are coming out of lockdown, I've done a course to just help us start to process some of the emotions that we've been through, because I think actually a lot of people at the moment aren't recognizing that they're stressed. They're feeling a bit frozen. And that can often happen when we've been in a state of chronic stress that has been around for so long that we've kind of forgotten what it feels like to not be stressed. So actually people are not in that kind of fight or flight state. They're a bit frozen at the moment. And that's why I'm hearing a lot of people talking about the fact that they're feeling a bit foggy headed, that they feel like their memory is not working properly. They can't concentrate on their work. So that becomes from a state of high chronic stress that we've been in for a year because we've been living through a collective trauma, right? So it has a, t- it takes a toll on our body. So just being able to tune in, yeah. actually, how am I feeling? What, what emotions are going on in my body at the moment? Let's just gently turn towards it rather than having to ignore it because we've been in survival mode for such a long time. Let's just gently turn towards it and just have a little look and see what's actually going on in there. And it can feel a bit frightening to do that. And as as mums have been doing for the last year, mums are the ones who have been holding it all together a lot of the time. Yeah. So to then have to stop and think, well, if I look at this, what's going to come out? Am I actually just not going to be able to hold on to it all anymore? So just know that you can do it gently, checking in with your body, just letting some of those feelings emerge. You don't have to do it all at once, but just get to know yourself a little bit again and then think about, do I want to take that a little bit further? That's lovely. That's lovely. <laughs> Thank you. And so you're, you have a workshop at the moment, did you say, the four, four mums coming out of lockdown? Yeah, it's, it's a very brief because everyone is so overloaded at the moment. So it's just three 10-minute audio sessions that you can listen to while you're pottering around the house or when you go out for a, work, uh, go out for a walk. So yeah, just 10 minutes that you can do over the course of three days or you can do them all at once if you want to. Lovely. Tell us how people can get in touch with you, Emma, if they want to or they want to join that course. Um, well, the best way is just to go on the website, which is mammologist.com, or I am often on Instagram a little bit too much. So I'm at mammologist on Instagram. And one last question that we like to ask all of our guests that come to the self-care club. What do you do for your own self-care, Emma? Oh, I do lots of things. It's been much harder for me, just like everybody this year, to access self-care. I used to do yoga and I'm really missing going to a yoga studio, but I have therapy weekly, which has been absolutely critical this time. And I meditate. And when I say meditate, I mean literally 10 minutes a day, if that, but it's just helps to kind of reset. And it also allows you to use those practices as you're going through your day. Um, And I talk a lot I talk a lot to my partner to my friends I offload a lot so that I'm not holding on to it in my own body so apologies to all of my friends who have been very overburdened this year (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they they would think apologies are not necessary thank you so much for being here thank you for your wisdom (laughs) you're very welcome thanks so much for having me it's been lovely chatting to you both you too thank you very much 
episode is brought to you by Notion. Have you ever stumbled upon a tool that feels like it's been tailor-made for you? Well, that's exactly how we feel about Notion. Simply and beautifully designed with all your notes and docs in one place and the power of AI built inside. It's where every idea, task and episode comes to life effortlessly. Notion merges creativity with productivity seamlessly. Whether we're planning out our episode schedule, collabing on show notes or tracking guest invitations, it's perfect for those who may be becoming a little forgetful in midlife. Hey, just the other day we used it to map out an entire season of our podcast in record time. And that's why Notion has become an indispensable part of our podcasting toolkit. It even wrote this intro for us. Notion is more than just a workspace. It's our secret weapon for success in the digital age. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organise and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is for everyone, CEOs, students and Lauren. If she can manage to navigate it, anyone can. Mm. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash self-care club. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash self-care club and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash self-care club. Tova, welcome to the club. Ah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, yes, happy, happy Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. I know. My kids I, asked me, what do you want for Mother's Day? And I was like, I want to not be here. No, I'm kidding. I, want no, to go I was literally just fun. about to say that. My husband said to me, what do you want to do for Mother's Day? And I thought, I want to have a fucking day off. That's what oh, I yeah. want to do. Uh, yeah, but like at a spa, you know, with your girlfriends. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be amazing. Tova Lee was born in Israel. She practiced law and worked as a labor law attorney for two years before moving to the UK in 2006 to pursue a career in acting. In 2015, she started her successful blog, My Thoughts About Stuff. Her blunt rants about motherhood, sex and all things taboo made her an internet sensation. Her viral online series, Mum Life Crisis, resonated with millions of women across the world and became a documentary film on Amazon Prime Video. In 2019, Tova released her first book, Fucked at 40, Life Beyond Suburbia, Monogamy and Stretch Marks. Tova takes the reader on her journey of rediscovering who she is after motherhood and beyond the norms society forces upon women, whilst encouraging them to break free and just be themselves. The paperback version with a new extra chapter is available now. This year, Tova will be releasing a brand new book called You Did What? It's a collection of the best confessions she's heard over the years, along with her own stories and insights on the connection between having secrets and feeling shame. Tova also co-hosts a weekly podcast, Till Death Do Us Pod, with her husband, Mike, and has a successful one-woman comedy show. She's a mother of three girls and lives together with her family in London. Let me ask you something. Before you began your blog and your Facebook page in 2015, mummy life was all pretty sanitized. It was a lot of kind of white linen shirts and babies dressed in perfect white rompers. And then <laughs> you you wrote in you write your book, Fucked at 40, and it's essentially about being the person, you were the person who kind of kicked yeah. off a brutal truth about motherhood that didn't really exist till then tell us about that tell us how you did that why you did that it was it was a real novelty at the time yeah I mean I don't know I think uh 
2015, when I started the blog, uh, the twins were um, two years old. We have three girls. Uh, so the twins were two. My eldest was four. And I was still very much in that kind of foggy phase of motherhood where you're really tired still and, yeah. uh, you know, and sleep deprived. And for me, motherhood just didn't come supernaturally. Like I was expecting it to be all the things that I saw in movies and in magazines of the, you know, like just to get this motherly instinct and for everything to just fall in place and to suddenly love baking and be able to do messy play and all those type of things that just didn't come naturally to me. And don't get me wrong. Oh my God, did I not try? Like I took my kids to every baby club thing that I could possibly do, probably overstimulized them. Like for, like for sure, you know, mess them up. But I really did try to be what I perceived to be the the type of mom that was presented to me, like that type of mom that sort yeah. of like does it all and enjoys it all and is there the whole time and all of that. And I think uh, the strain of it all really got to me at that point because it was going against a lot of my, who I really was as a person. Yeah. And this doesn't, didn't ever take away from how much I love being my mom and I love my kids, but I'm not the mom who does the bake sales. Like I'm not that mom. It's just not who I am. So I think when I started the blog, it came from a real place of, I just need to get this out. It's like a big secret. It's like a big horrid secret that is weighing on me. And I just need to say it out loud. And I don't really care if anybody thinks I'm, you know, this isn't right or whatever. I'm just going to put it out. I didn't have a blog. I didn't do anything. I just put it out there as a, as a single article. And it, just resonated with so many women. And then I sort of realized, oh, well, maybe people aren't saying that enough, like yet they're not. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm sure there were people who were saying it, but I didn't see a lot of it at the time. Um, I didn't. And, and the, and the things I did see were a bit cutesy, you know, it was like, uh, Ooh, I have a glass of Pinot at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. Uh, and for me, it was like, oh, much more than that. I just want them yeah. to fuck off. <laughs> like, yeah. just go and, like, leave me the fuck alone, you know? Um, and uh, and <laughs> I feel like I, I had to say it like that just to be able to, I don't know, just to be able to balance the sort of uh, fakeness that I felt of it all, you know? Um, so that's kind of how the, the blog came about yeah. um, and that real you know, realness. And do you know what? It's funny because social media just as a baseline is not real. Nothing is real. Even when you are. Yeah. But even when you're trying to be real, it's a, it's still not, you're still not getting a hundred percent. Like when do we ever, the people, you know, the closest to you, like your partners, your lovers, your possibly your best friends, you know, them, that is very real. But even if you're putting a lot of you out yes. online, it's still not 100% real ever. Um, so, you know, I, I remember earlier on, I would get these messages from women and I, it was interesting to see the takeaway from what I was putting out there that even though I was trying to sort, for example, to put out something, let's say something specific, some women took it differently from how it was intended. That's just the, a result of it not being a direct communication, sitting with somebody and having long conversations with them. And they're just watching a three minute video and they're taking away what they take away from it, but it's never going to be accurate. Um, Which actually I think pushed me to 
be even more honest because I wanted to set the record straight. So yes. the book was great because the book was a great opportunity to put it down in writing yeah. in a longer format of content that people could really yeah. Yeah. take away more. Dive, dive into, yeah. You talk about um, losing yourself in motherhood and you said in your book, as moms, it's not part of our job to fade away into the background and disappear. I didn't want to be labeled as any sort of mom. I just wanted to be me, which is what you've just beautifully said here. I mean, if someone does feel like they're losing themselves in motherhood, firstly, how do you know if you're losing yourself and what can you do to kind of start getting yourself back on track to the woman that you were before and the woman that you want to be? First of all, I think it's really interesting that the, um, the, the, the first, like the starting point is that you're expected somehow to lose yourself in motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's an yeah. expectation. Yes. And if you Right. Yes. And if you yes. haven't lost yourself, then you're obviously not a good mom. Like you're yeah. not oh, a mo- mom God. enough. <laughs> there's a, oh there's a martyrdom. God. There's definitely yeah. a, a, um, a martyrdom going on there and it is like you have to sacrifice yourself at the gate of the placenta and if you don't do that who are you why are you so fucking selfish you know yeah totally so I thought that that was my job and that was how I was supposed to be and that kind of you know that uh, martyr sort of sacrifice what you the word you used yeah you're right that I thought that was supposed to be that's how I was supposed to feel um I see that now that how untrue it is and you're right you talked about also like the guilt the sort of like of being selfish like to say actually no, I don't want this to consume my everything. And it's okay for me to say that. It doesn't take away from anything. Um, and trust me, like you'll have these discussions with people and it triggers a lot of people. It oh, does. Yeah. It triggers them so badly. And I don't know why, like, I don't know where it comes from. Does it come from a fear, uh, from a, a sort of a personal fear? Like, I don't know where it comes from, but I know that it does trigger a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a process for other women who potentially feel that way. Um, I would say to not be harsh on yourselves for feeling that way. Like it's okay. You know, like don't, cause there's like, you feel guilty and then you feel guilty for feeling guilty. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a spiral you know? effect. For so, sure. yeah. 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 But if that is something that you are experiencing, then, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's a good, you know, opportunity to sort of peel those layers and see what's underneath that. And I think for every woman, it's going to be different. Um, you know, some women will feel it's a career thing more. I, I think or, you've, you've, you've pointed to something so important is that it's expected to lose yourself and actually we don't need to and that losing yourself and diving into motherhood head first and not being able to see anything around does not make you a good mother it makes you a depleted no. mother do you remember mm-hmm. nicole the day literally the day that we first met so i came on nicole's podcast and she came on my radio show and the day we met we had a conversation about something that had happened to both of us and it was the weirdest thing so i was only 25 when i had my eldest son and a few months after he was born i i needed some new clothes and i went shopping and i went into top shop at 25 right. and i came home my husband was like what, what did you buy i was like nothing. He said, why not? I said, because I'm a, I'm a mum now. Like I can't shop in Topshop. I had no idea how to buy clothes that were appropriate for a (laughs) mum. And Nicole had exactly the same 
experience. In no, Topshop. it wasn't. But mine no, was wasn't it? because I was. A, wow. No, mine was in Topshop, but it wasn't because I thought I was a mum and I have to suddenly wear motherly clothes. I kind of just walked into Topshop and I guess my whole perception and my body had changed. Everything yeah, had changed. Yeah, it was everything. It was everything. And it suddenly like, I, didn't, I? I didn't understand the clothes and the clothes yeah. didn't seem to understand me. And there was a kind of this whole disconnect going on and yeah. I came home feeling exactly just so yeah, totally lost awful. in my identity. Yeah. Bizarre. But I love uh, what you said, Lauren, about the expectation like of moms. It's true. It like it's like this uh, this title that you get, and it comes with so many layers of expectations. And I remember seeing, and moms are really judged at like the highest level. Like there's saints, yes. and then there's mothers. Like it's one step <laughs> above a saint. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I remember there was I can't remember who she was now. I mean, you know people do it all the time now, but at the time it was pretty big. Uh, this mom posted like a sexy image of herself in lingerie online. And half of the comments were like, that is so dis like what distasteful, like you're a mother. And it's like, so wait, once you become a mother, you say, you leave at the door, your sexuality, you leave at the door, like so many other things that you are as a person, as a woman. Um, yeah. So it's a yeah. bit like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. But when we have babies and we give birth, so I've got three kids, Nicole's got two, there's a lot of change to our bodies that people yeah. just don't like to talk about. Our breasts, they don't look the same. And it's not even the breastfeeding, it's pregnancy. Our stomachs, our vaginas, our vulvas. As my friend said, I had my second baby and it just went... No, you look different. You feel different. You yeah. you said in your book, the changes my body went through during my two pregnancies had a huge impact on my self-esteem and confidence. Having two sections left me with massive scar and an overhang of skin and fat. And I felt no matter how much weight I lost, I would never be sexy again. How can women find acceptance in that new looking body? That body that has created life, by the way. Yeah. Well, for me, it really was a combination of a few things. So first of all, my, my focus at the beginning was really about aesthetics because that's the first thing you see, right? Yeah. Is how your body changed and what it looks like. So obviously my focus was on aesthetics, but throughout the journey that I did, that I wrote about in the book, um, and my mom life crisis and all of that, I realized a few things. One of them being that it was way, way more about, the connection with my body that I lost rather than how it had changed. So what I mean is, for example, I think that as women, we lose our bodies throughout our lives. In fact, we probably don't have a lot of control over our bodies from a very early age. We just don't realize that because we, we're just, we're, that's what we're used to, right? Uh, but when I think back about any time I've ever gone to the gynecologist or any time, or, you know, putting hormones in my body that change my behavior, uh, or, uh, you know, or when you're pregnant, you get poked and prodded. And oh my God, if you've ever had a C-section, you feel like a, you know, a big whale on a, you know, on a table and they're just like pulling you and you just, and then, and then even at the best case scenarios, you know, you've had a baby and you breastfeed, which is wonderful. And it's a great way to connect with your baby. But again, your boobs are not yours anymore. Yeah, and no. moms probably get touched more than any other creature on the planet. Oh, you know, yeah. you're constantly, somebody's constantly touching you. Yeah. So yes. at some point I realized that um, a major thing for me was a lack of 
connection with my body. Like I felt my body just didn't belong to me anymore. It didn't belong to me. Uh, and how are you going to love a body that you don't even think belongs to you? Like, how are you going to feel great about it? Forget about what it looks like. You just don't feel it's yours. And then on top of that, there's the C-section with the, you know, the area of skin that feels a bit numb and you can't feel. Uh, so that all contributes. Uh, and that was the first thing I, I realized. And I did some things that helped me connect with my body. But for, again, for every woman, it's different. I, I, I felt physical physicality was a key thing. So I took up pole dancing at the time and just getting moving and sort of really getting into like the movements and, uh, was just a great way to get that connection back and really feel my hips and feel my thighs. And like, and then on top of that, there's like the sexy aspect of it, of all that, yeah. but it really wasn't the thing that started. It wasn't the main thing at all. Um, and then the other thing I think is just that focus on loving our body rather than just appreciating the body. You said, Yes, the body that uh, made, you know, gave life, but not just that, the, the body that gets you out of bed every morning, that gets yes. you from A to B. And we just take that for granted, you know, if that would, if, you know, do you know what I mean? And yes. somebody said to yes. me yes. one day, yes. I was like, I was going on about my stomach and I'm not trying to diss anybody who has like a certain part of their body that they don't like, because I can relate to that completely. But I was talking about my stomach. I don't like my stomach, the C-section area, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of went, but do you like, do you love love your elbow? Like, do you love your right eyebrow? Like, do you have a relationship with any other part of your body actually that the word love even comes into play? And I just went, no, like how crazy is that? That yeah. I've, I've just like focused all my intention on loving, loving my stomach when actually maybe I should just be grateful for having a stomach, yeah. you know, yeah. and, yes. and shift my thought. So those are the two things that really helped me. Yeah. And I don't know, again, like, I don't want to speak on behalf of all women. And I definitely don't know what an experience for, uh, you know, uh, people who are not women, uh, don't identify themselves as, as a woman, like would have a experience. I don't know, but I think that majority of the times, um, women's aesthetics are at the front of every conversation. And that is why we yes. have just, we're just used to assessing everything, our value, our happiness, our worth through what we look like. It's yeah. so tied up with yeah. like almost with who we are. Yes. Um, and, and that's something that's going to take a while to change and shift, but uh, hopefully even conversations like that. Yes. Yeah. Are helping. It, it is not, not quick I enough. Agree. Not no. quick <laughs> enough, but it, but it is like, shifting. No, no, no. <laughs> So Toby, you've been very vocal about female sexuality and your libido being found and then recently lost during the <laughs> pandemic. And I followed you very closely during all of that. And you had a lot of bite back and were given advice about taking one for the team and just putting out for the sake of the marriage. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? And why is this still expected, do you think, of women in 2021? Well, first of all, I love it when people like have that uh, bite back because it gives me, uh, you know, a great opportunity to talk about an aspect that I I'm, I would like to bring up. So I'm always very grateful for those type mm. of comments. Um, but uh, it's not it's it actually does blow my mind that there's still th those type of I mean, again, that sounds quite judgmental, but those type of of ideas still exist in 2021, 100%. Uh, 
I know this for a fact from messages that I received in, in response to those posts from women who talked about their experiences in their current relationships and past relationships. And I've even heard content creators say things along those lines on the internet as like a joke, you know, like, oh, sometimes I'm not in the mood. I just lie there and let him do what he wants oh. to do. I think that um, facilitates uh, yes. the, you know, the carrying on of the the idea of sex being something that women provide for men. It's something that is done for the pleasure of men and women sort of like, they don't really, we don't really like sex, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes you do it because kind of like, oh God, it's that, it's that time of the week. You got to do it, you know? And I just, I just, I just don't understand. Yeah. Like that's not, that doesn't represent uh, so many women that I have spoken to and so many women that I know are sexual. They like sex. They do it for them. It's not, it, and, and ne- never mind like the obvious, I think, which is sex is something you should enjoy with your partner. It's a mutual thing. Um, and we're just talking by the way about intercourse, uh, intercourse right now, but you know, there's a bigger picture, which is obviously intimacy and closeness and lots of other things. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I was, I, I felt like it was a, re- it was important to highlight it. Yes. yes. Yeah. It, it was important. And also for men, like, you yeah. know, I'm sure men in healthy relationships or long-term relationships don't want their, their partners to be lying there taking one for this team just because it's that time of the week. I mean, that's just insulting towards them as well as insulting for totally. everybody involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually there were a few men who, um, who their contribution to the conversation I thought was really important. They said stuff like, is it okay for me as a man to say that sometimes I don't want to have sex, but I feel like I'm not allowed to say that because I'm trapped in my role in society, which is guys want sex all the time. And if you, if you're a guy who doesn't want sex all the time, then something must be wrong with you, you know, like what's wrong with you. And that's again, they're trapped in their in their roles. Uh, I yeah. appreciated that because they wrote those messages publicly, uh, which I think is very important because people yeah. are watching. Younger people yeah. are watching. People are looking yeah. at those conversations. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, it's normalizing, isn't it? It's just normalizing the human yeah. experience, whatever that might be, at whatever stage. Mm. Yeah. Talking about men, in your book, you said the one thing that really bothered you about your journey to finally kind of seeing yourself again was that your husband never once had his own self-care criticised. So he's able to watch football. He was able to come home from work and decompress in front of the TV. I've had a hard day, leave me alone. But when you decided to have a weekend away with your girlfriends or do anything for yourself, you're called selfish. That is definitely still happening i think that is happening in many households why why is this still a thing that 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 it's so selfish for us to just be ourselves and not a mother so first of all um there's again a lot of things in there um you know mike and in our relationship, right, I I never wanted to come across as if Mike, because that's not our reality. Like, that was not Mike ever. It was more about how people didn't question if Mike wasn't around rather than him not yes. being around. Yes. So he, he, he never came home and sat in front of the TV and said, leave me alone. That's just not something he would do. Uh, and he never did that. But what was, what did happen was, you know, naturally, and again, something I just didn't question, I took on the role of the leading parent. 
And when I look back now, I'm actually not quite sure why that happened because, you know, (laughs) for some families, it makes sense because there's one person who is more of the provider. Like there's there's different families, like different structures. But for us, I just feel like, and I'm sure for a lot of people, this happens. It just happened. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like there wasn't yeah. a conversation. It wasn't discussed. Yeah. We, it wasn't discussed. Yeah. And then suddenly you kind <laughs> of go, oh, hang on a minute. Well, why are we doing it this way? So that was one thing. What was interesting yeah. that when we reached that point that I was going through the midlife crisis and I said, right, I want to take some time to really reevaluate and I want to kind of like go away for a bit and think about these. So I took a step back, like completely to the point where I was like, right, here are, here is you in all the WhatsApps, you go sort out the play dates, you're in charge. I'm not doing anything. I need to take a few step backs and and figure this one out. And that was the point where people were a bit like on the school run, like, uh, oh, you're such a saint. Oh, it's so lovely to see. And then when I did, when I did come and it's not like I went to sort of like the other side of the world for God knows how long we're talking like a a, a couple of months in like six years that I was leading parent every single morning, every single afternoon, right? It was like, hi, oh, good to see you. And there's that type of like judgment in that. And I, and I was a bit like, wow, isn't that like crazy, right? That in our, our day and age, it's like that. I think in that aspect, a lot is changing, by the way, you go to the school run now, I see loads of dads there. Agreed. Agreed. It's totally changing in the last couple of years. I've seen a massive difference, you know, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of this shit that women put on themselves because you know there are so many mothers who I've been out with of an evening and the phone will ring and it's their husbands and they're like where's the xyz or you know the kid's got a headache I don't know what to do none of those women go I'm actually out so just deal with it because I cannot imagine being at home and something domestic going on and me ringing my husband while he's out exactly (laughs) like that's so true happen well I was making listen I know you said make them baked beans for dinner but there aren't any baked beans like this like, would you ever ring your husband when no he's I mean no it's but, such that's a so true so the fact that you kind of were able to let that shit go that's yeah. the thing that's different because definitely for me there's no way that whatsapps from the class could come in and I would be like I don't give a shit what they say you deal with it oh my god I don't even anymore tr- Really? No, that's amazing. But you know, amazing. No, but li- yeah, but I, but I, listen, if you knew me like uh, on a personal level, I'm telling you, I'm such a, a control freak, honest to God. Like I like knowing everything. I like being on top of everything, but it was, it didn't happen overnight. It was a process, but it's what you said. They have two parents. They do. Two parents. Yes. They, they just do, have yes. two parents. Mike does not help me. He does. He, we are what we are complete uh, equals now in how we raise our children. And it's funny that you say about the phone, because there was a period in time. I remember he, used to, he would take them out to the zoo or whatever. And I would get like 30 WhatsApp messages. <laughs> so she just did a wee and uh, now she's eating a pretzel. And okay. So we've just walked to the, and at some point right, I said, I, don't, I care. don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, what don't do text I, me. What do I tell you about the school run, Nicole? Every time I say, whenever my husband does the school run, how many fucking messages? Well, yeah. I've reached the pond and I dropped him at You say he like, mansplains it to you. He like, mansplains it to you. I took this road today. I'm like, I do this journey 10 fucking times a week. So you don't <laughs> mansplain. 
the school run to me. Like, thank you. You know what there I is have a- noticed over the last 12 years? I went back to work very quickly um, when I had my hairdressing salon. So when the kids were two months old, I went back to work a couple of days a week and it would obviously always be on a Saturday. So Adam, when the babies were very much babies, he would have them all day on a Saturday. And every client used to come in and say, oh, isn't he good? Oh, isn't he good? Oh, you're so lucky. And I always used to reply, he's not good. He's their father. And now (laughs) when I still work a Saturday in my hair salon, no one ever would ever say that. And I think that conversation is definitely changing for the best. Yeah. I think lots of things are changing. There's still room for improvement, obviously, like, uh, Lauren said, like, uh, I still get asked sometimes, how do you juggle? You know, how do you juggle being a mom and working? And I, I hate that question because I'm like, well, how does any working parent juggle? A uh, question yeah. that never gets, men never get asked. It's and, true. Uh, no one asks. I'm going to ask no him. No one. How do you juggle? Do yeah. You juggle no, but ask him, ask him if he's ever been asked that question. I'm going anybody to ever he hasn't. Him? But if someone no. did ask my husband, his answer would be, because I'm married to you. <laughs> But he Adams says to me, he says that. to me a lot, I would never be able to do my job, do my meetings. Tra- he used to travel when people were allowed to travel, yeah. travel, do everything I do. If I didn't have you. No, he wouldn't. Taking the slack. So he does yeah. notice it and appreciate it and yeah. realize it. Again, it really does depend on your situation and each family is different. For us, we're, we are in a position where we can do this the way that we're doing it because we both work from home yeah. and we both own our own business. So we have that that kind of freedom, but it's obviously not something that is right for everybody. So, yeah, you know, no. uh, but also I think going back to the women, just being a bit controlling and maybe again, part of our DNA is the kind of like that myth we were told at some point, which is, oh, being a mom is like the most natural thing you'll yeah. ever do. And you'll just know everything, which was not true for me, but I really did fake it because I really thought that that was what I was supposed to do. And then I think in the <laughs> dynamic between me and Mike, I took on that leading role because I thought, well, I'm supposed to. And he took on the role of like, well, I don't know what to do. And that, <laughs> yeah. And that- It's kinda, like daddy pig, the daddy pig yeah, role. <laughs> yeah. And then you kind of like, you, it, 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 it gets worse when the gap gets bigger and bigger over time. Yeah. It's hard to then close that gap, you know? Um, so if I, if I had to go back in time and give myself like a little bit of advice when we first got pregnant was to, we're actually both just as clueless as each other (laughs) (laughs) and that's okay. So we can figure it out together, you know? And that is a brilliant piece of advice. Can I tell you, (laughs) we always ask our guests that come on two questions. And now that your new book's coming out, it's all about confessions. We would love a confession from you about a self-care fail. Oh, God. Have you got any? Oh, my God. Anybody who was a teenager in the 90s probably plucked their eyebrows a bit too much. Like, I I had no eyebrows at some point, but I don't know if that's a confession (laughs) or not. It's like lots of pictures of of that. (laughs) And, well, more importantly, what do you do for your own self-care, Tova? To be honest, since the pandemic, uh, I I really did for the first few months totally neglect my self-care. I mean, I've talked so many times about mommy's special bath time and her, you know, her vibrating toy. 
And I've talked a lot about walks in the wood, which I love with music and nature. I think it's really helpful. And the third thing is always meeting up with girlfriends, because I think the energy that women have when they're together is just you can't like there's nothing like it anywhere. Um, So those would be my three go to things. Uh, But, you know, during the pandemic, it's been hard, of course, to maintain that. And I know a lot of people are feeling down because of that. But hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to it. We're getting back to it, aren't we? Slowly, yeah. slowly. So, I just wanted to end with a quote from your book that I, I just thought summed it all up beautifully. You said, as mums, we wear many hats. We are drivers, cooks and cleaners. We are cheerleaders, coaches, teachers, storytellers and ninja warriors that shoe monsters away. We want to raise good kids who will one day grow up to be good adults who can cope with life. We want to teach them right from wrong and give them enough love and encouragement so they're confident and happy. But what I learned is the number one role, the first job I have as a mother toward my children, actually to be myself. I love yeah. that. Oh. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah. It's, it, it took is. a while to get there, but I really yeah. do believe that, you know, I really do I believe because I think what you give them when you do that is they, the courage and yeah. the ability to just be themselves uh, it's, it's one thing to say to a child, be yourself, just be yourself. But they see that you are not doing it yourself. Yeah. I think they learn much more from seeing us than actually the words we say, you know, I <laughs> and they're not stupid. You know, they, they're no. very instinctive. They know when you're not happy, they, yeah. they you know, they're a part of you and you're a part of them. And and I think just with, like when you look at your kids and with one glance, you know, they've had a bad day and they're not feeling yes. well. Or what, and, yes. and I think it's the same. And I think even if you're sticking on that smile and you're kind of trucking on, if that's not authentic, your kids are going to know that. Yeah, yeah. totally. Tova, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are huge fans of your work. Yeah, we are. Please, for anyone listening, can you tell them how they can see more of you and where to find you? Sure. So the book, Fucked 40, uh, is out now as a paperback. And the paperback does have an extra chapter in it about life in lockdown uh, and vibrators, of course. And um, <laughs> yeah, and it's available worldwide on Amazon. And you can find me on all, all socials. Probably the best place would be Instagram, Tova underscore uh, Lee. Thank you so much. Fantastic. You're a wonderful, wonderful guest and a wonderful champion of women. And thank you for the work that you do. You. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Emma and Tova for joining us today and to you all for listening. We hope if you are a mum, then you have been treated like the queen that you are today or have told your own mum, the mother figure in your life or a friend who is an amazing mum, just how much she is valued. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. The Motherkind Podcast explores how to feel happier, more confident, and empowered in your motherhood, even in our world of pressure, judgment, and comparison. I'm your host, Zoe Blasky, and every week I speak to an incredible expert to share actionable steps and powerful lessons to living your life as a mother with more joy and unapologetic confidence. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, just search Motherkind. Kind.